The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. So a big welcome to everyone. Anybody who's here for the first time, special welcome to you. My name's Mark Nunberg. I'm one of the guiding teachers at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis. And uh, usually at the end of the month, I just take a moment to remind everyone how our community has been functioning these 30 years now. This is our 30th year. We began in 1993 when Fricky, my spouse, and I started the center back then. And uh, we have this circle of generosity that has really sustained us all these years. And we don't have suggested donations and we don't really do much, if any, fundraising. But we do ask everyone to come into relationship. But because everyone's situation is different, we can't tell people how to do that or what it's going to look like. Everybody has to figure it out for themselves. And uh, the way we figure that out is, I don't know if people were listening last week, but I, in this series of talks on recognizing the good, this is the third of those talks today, um, last week I talked about one of the things that we can recognize in our life that is truly good, and it's truly good to recognize this thing that's truly good, is what we could call moral sensitivity. That our sensitive heart senses the wholesomeness or unwholesomeness of our intentions, the motivations behind our actions, even behind our thoughts, and certainly behind our words and our more gross actions in the world, we can sense that. And so just like in our marriages and in our relationships and in our taking care of our children and our pets and our friends and our work scene, we can sense how we're in relationship in all of those different places. And we can sense whether that way of relating that way of being in relationship is uplifting for us or is more of a dead weight in our hearts. And all it takes is interest. Like, how does this relationship or how does this way of relating feel? What, what seeds are, have I been planting like in my relationship with my brother or in my relationship with my friend or in my relationship with my job? or in my relationship with a Buddhist meditation center that I'm part of. What does that relationship feel like? But we have to be interested enough to be uh, wanting to sense, intuitively sense, the health of that relationship, whether it is a source like of, of, of upliftment. You know, it brings in some good energy in our life whenever we feel or think about that relationship or whether it makes us cringe. Ooh, <laughs> you know, I'm giving too much or I'm not giving enough or I don't really care or I care too much. It's out of balance in this way. It's out of balance in that way. And so each of us, you know, in all of our relationships, we have to hone in on a beautiful, uplifting, balanced way of being in relationship with that particular place or person or institution or whatever it might be. 
So this is what we ask for people who are participating, whether you're listening later on the YouTube channel at Common Ground or downloading talks from Dharma Seed, um, from Common Ground Meditation Center, or here live in person at the City Center on Zoom with us. Yeah, just to be respectful of the relationship so that it makes you, is a real cause for happiness in your life and not something you do kind of unconsciously, but you have a conscious relationship so you can sense whether it's in balance, sense whether it's supporting your life or not. And of course, if you have any questions about how to do that, just reach out to the office. We'll help you with any information that you might need or there's more information, of course, on the website. And in the document that I've been putting in the chat, you can um, just, there's a link to the donate page if you're interested in contributing or getting more information about volunteering at the center. And so I want to talk about, you know, continue this uh, general conversation that we've been having about how do we recognize the good. And I spoke two weeks, or I don't know, maybe it was three weeks ago now, about this just in our external environment, just recognizing happiness around us. Happy people, happy pets, beautiful, yeah, just beautiful moments of seeing the wind blow through the leaves of a tree. Oh, and just learning to appreciate, learning to touch into gratitude as a way of seeing the good. And you know, this practice of recognizing the good is good in itself, right? It's a cause for upliftment or joy, good energy. But mostly we want to do it. We want to find ways to recognize what's good to interrupt what would be considered an unhelpful, unskillful habit of being the mind, because of habit, overly focused, overly identified with seeing what is painful, seeing what is unskillful. And basically for us, for me, I notice, and I think I can speak for many of us, To um, it's almost like the mind wants to keep collecting data that reinforces this view that everything sucks, that everything's difficult, that everything's bad. And uh, it's not that there isn't some truth to that but it just isn't the whole truth. So if your mind's out of balance in that way, then these talks that I've been giving on seeing or recognizing the good will be very important. So the first step I mentioned a couple weeks ago is just learning to appreciate simple moments of happiness, the goodness in your own heart, the success and happiness of those around you. You see somebody enjoying a cup of coffee, there can, there can be a simple moment of appreciation. Oh, there's some happiness there. Whatever that, you know, ordinary happiness, happiness, whatever that is, may continue, may it increase, may it never end. So we're making sure our mind is in balance and is recognizing ordinary, wholesome, pleasant moments, moments of people's happiness. Last week, I spoke about this good of this moral sensitivity. So it's almost like we're learning to recognize 
oh, there's this sensitivity in my heart, this conscience that can recognize what's good, what's not good, what's wholesome, what's not wholesome, what's healthy, what's not healthy. And to really appreciate that sensitivity because we need it to navigate our lives. And today, this um, maybe in some ways more subtle kind of good that we can recognize is the wholesomeness of being present and with some stability, some continuity, some momentum, some stability of present moment awareness, what in Buddhism we call samadhi. Now, everybody, regardless of the kind of mind temperament we have, we all have this capacity to be present with some stability, just like we all have this capacity to be really frazzled and scattered and mind fragmented and dissipated and all over the place, right? So we're all playing along this spectrum from, you know, extreme distraction and agitation at one end to a profound stability and the clarity that comes from that stability of present moment awareness, or we could say stability and continuity, because part of what gives the mind a lot of stability is the continuity of present moment awareness. And that's an important um, point to actually memorize so that when you wonder, how do I get some of that stability a present moment awareness that the Buddha makes such a big deal of, then you should be able to remember, oh yeah, the Buddha says it is the continuity of present moment awareness that is the proximate cause for that beautiful powerful stability of awareness. And there's there's really uh, no way to completely understand the power of that stability of present moment awareness. It is so deeply healing to learn how to appreciate, to cultivate, and to abide in that stability of present moment awareness. And one of the things that's most useful, and I really want to emphasize today in the talk, is we need to sense directly, not because I'm saying it or the Buddha said it, but we need to sense directly that it is good, that it is wholesome. And that's what I spoke last week is, You know, it's a real empowerment for us to know the difference directly between what's wholesome and unwholesome. So it doesn't matter what anybody else says because we have our, in a sense, our own internal radar, our own internal uh, sensitivity and wisdom that knows, oh, this is onward leading to more freedom, more kindness, more skill, more nimbleness, more resilience. This is skillful. This is wholesome. Between that and, oh, this is onward leading to more stress, onward leading to less clarity, onward leading to more habitual reactivity, unskillful reactivity. Oh, this is unwholesome. And uh, 
it's like this chicken and egg, but we need that stability of awareness to activate this moral sensitivity. And it's the moral sensitivity that keeps confirming that non-distraction, the stability of present moment awareness is truly good. You know, it is truly onward leading to the deepening of wisdom and love in our hearts and the, and the sort of greater ability to act skillfully, compassionately as we navigate all the tricky, sticky, challenging things in life for all of us. Maybe some more for more for some than for others, but we all have, you know, this life to navigate. And there's many ways that we can fall into spaces of real pain and self-destruction just because of the lack of presence, lack of that sensitivity. So before I go on, I want us just to take a minute or two and even, you know, with our ordinary mind now, we're not in the middle of a meditation, but just remind yourself now what it is to be non-distracted. Like, what kind of effort do we need to make right now to sustain some non-distraction? And notice that we can distract ourselves by trying too hard or trying hard in the wrong kind of way to be undistracted, right? We can get lost in the thoughts about how important it is to be undistracted, not distracted. But we can also lose that presence by being negligent, thinking, you know, there's really nothing that's important about non-distraction. The thing about samadhi or non-distraction, that stability of present moment awareness, is that it's it arises in our heart and our mind in a lawful way. It's predictable. So we can, like when our mind is really scattered, fragmented all over the place. As soon as we have some interest, we can sense how the causes for that distractedness were there, right? What did the mind get identified with? You know, and it's often that greed and hate that triggers the distractedness in our mind, right? We... Um, it's very easy because uh, both uh, aversion or hate and greed, they're like uh, caffeine for the soul. <laughs> I think one of the teachers have said, maybe it was Gil Fronstel. Um, you know, there's something really intoxicating about the energy of aversion or fear or hate, something really intoxicating about greed in the mind. And uh, the mind sort of, just uh, gets one-pointed, gets identified, and kind of gets in the vortex. And when we're in the vortex of greed or aversion, then we're distracted. We're not really connected. We're not really 
a human being in a way. We're in that vortex kind of on autopilot, acting out our aversive pattern or our greedy pattern, whatever it might be. And it's interesting, and I thought, like, if for those who stay for the small group discussions at um, 11.45 Central Time, that one of the things in the small groups you could talk about is the distance between distraction and non-distraction. So, like, when our minds are absorbed in some kind of storm of greediness or storm of aversion, fear, whatever, and we're really cycling, lost in the sense of, not knowing that we're in that pattern. So we're in the pattern so deeply that there's no space of wisdom that knows, oh yeah, I'm really caught up right now. I'm really lost in this greediness, really lost in this aversion, right? So then how far away is that mind from non-distraction? So when there is a, maybe it's just initially a very quiet impulse, oh, it's like this now. Right, just that little mindful impulse. Oh, what's happening? What's the mind doing? Oh, it's like this. And the mind wakes up in a sense, right? The mind opens to the aversion and the drama and the content and what it feels like in the body. It opens to the totality of the storm, whether it's a greedy storm or aversive storm or some deluded storm, whatever you know, that mind has been absorbed into, then awareness, in a sense, is a kind of space in which that storm can be observed as something being known. It's just that aversive or greedy storm, just that neurotic or that unskillful activity of mind unfolding. Oh, okay. This is what it's like right now. It feels like this when the mind is self-centered in this way, identify taking things personally, has a fixed view, then the body, heart, and mind is tight in this way. But now there's a little space, right? So it's really interesting to clarify for for each of us, for ourselves, that the distance between however deeply distracted the mind was and a moment of non-distraction a moment of wisdom, understanding, this is just how it is. This is being known. This is being felt, which is a moment of non-distraction. What is that distance? And, you know, it goes the other way too. Like when the mind is really stable and clear and present, what's the distance between that continuity of present moment awareness and getting the mind getting lost in some vortex of worry or hate or greed or, you know, fantasy, whatever. It's not much. We can be present, 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 and all of a sudden the mind takes the bait and is lost in thought and gone. But it's really good for us in learning to appreciate presence and the stability of present moment awareness to realize how easy it is to be lost but how easy it is to come back. It's really nice. So that we don't have this, this would be considered a wrong view or wrong understanding, that when we notice that there's a lot of distractedness, to imagine that I'm a million miles away from being undistracted, from
from being present. Oh, it's going to take me a long time to get back, you know, to being present. And that idea itself becomes, of course, self-fulfilling. Like when I have the thought, I'm a million miles away from a balanced, stable, present mind. Well, being identified with that thought means I'm a thousand miles away, right? Because the mind becomes attached to, you know, it's to that conviction that I, of course I can't be present now. And, you know, we, we have that a lot, like, um, you know, especially when you work with children and they're really, up, let's say a child's really upset and you're trying to kind of help them regulate their own emotions. And, uh, but it's very interesting. I mean, this is true for adults, but we notice it maybe more when we're working with children. We'll notice how the child's mind is really attached to the idea that I can't be okay now because I'm upset, <laughs> right? And the mind has almost like an allegiance to the tightness, even though it's really painful, but there's, there's a kind of uh, conviction that this is me and I have to be in allegiance to my being upset and to somehow drop this and realize this is just a little vortex and the great ocean of being present to the conditions of the whole moment, that's sort of an affront. It's almost like, well, that would not be respectful for my uh, my vortex of suffering <laughs> that I'm uh, identified with. And so this is interesting for us to see in our own minds, the same pattern. Uh, so where we often will notice this is in the first few minutes of a meditation period, especially those of you who experiment with meditating in the mid middle of a busy day. So, you know, it's whatever dramas that have been stirred up for the first few hours of your day, you know, so let's say you put aside a little time before you have your lunch to sit and you got all that stuff that's been stirred up for the first half of your day. And then you go to a quiet place and you sit down in a comfortable way and take a couple of longer breaths, perhaps, just to settle in, stabilize your sitting posture. And then what is the first thing we notice? Well, we notice all that stuff that's gotten stirred up. And it can activate this wrong understanding that I'm a million miles away from samadhi, from the stability of present moment awareness, because I got this unfinished thing going on and I got to decide what I'm going to do about this and this difficult relationship that I need to make amends with and this person I need to speak truth to power with and oh my goodness, you know, how could I possibly open to something that isn't tight or that isn't burdened by these stories that I have of unfinished business that need attention. And what's really important then is to follow the basic process. So I'm going to review that now for the last 15 minutes of our program today. And this comes from the Buddhist teachings on uh, mindfulness of breathing, but it's just a basic way. It's, you know, I mentioned last week that there's a lawfulness about how it all works because things, everything 
and this conditioned world, that means all of this, it's conditioned, right? That's another way of saying that it's lawful. It follows a law. So we can discern that lawfulness. So the first thing that has to happen, like going back to that example, we're deciding to sit in the middle of a day and there's a lot moving in our mind and heart because of all of our previous interactions that day, nothing being perfectly clean, yeah? So there's some leftover stuff vibrating, moving in the body and mind. And then we sit down. And the first thing we need to do is, in a sense, break the spell. And the spell is this wrong idea that I have to be in allegiance to whatever it is that shows up in my mind. Oh yeah, there's that thing. And so what we often do as a beginning part of a sit is we ask the mind, that part of the mind that pays attention, to pay attention to something ordinary. Like, can you, honey, can you connect with the physicality of breathing in? And then sustain that attention through the in-breath all the way to the moment the in-breath is finished, and then notice that little gap, and then notice the beginning of the out-breath, and sustaining attention until the out-breath is done. Notice that little gap there, and then again, as you breathe in, and as you breathe out. And uh, it's not easy, right, because it's not the habit of the mind, but to the degree that we're able to bring attention to something ordinary like that, and sustain attention, then we will necessarily break the spell. The mind that is drawn back to the dramas, to the unfinished business, to the unresolved pain. Now, this isn't a long-term strategy. This is an initial uh, training in order to break this wrong idea that I can't do anything else but attend to these places of unresolved pain as if they're me and mine. So we're breaking that wrong idea by realizing, you know what? The attention, the awareness can be with the breathing in and the breathing out. It doesn't have to be the breath. It could be being aware of the whole body. could be being aware of hearing. But one way or another, we need to connect and sustain attention with something relatively neutral. could be just being aware of the visual experience, staring out at some trees, seeing as being known. And then the key is to sustain attention with what is simple and ordinary and to realize, to keep realizing moment by moment, this is being known. Breathing in, the touching at the nostrils or the expansion of the, you know, the rib cage with the in-breath, that those sensations are being felt, being known. Contraction is being felt, being known. So that's the first step towards samadhi. We have to break the spell of whatever the mind is inclined to pay attention to by giving it something to pay attention to. And by paying attention to the neutral anchor, like experience of the body embodiment, then it has to drop whatever else it would be paying attention to.
Then the next step when we break the spell is then to realize that present moment awareness is naturally inclusive. So even though like what I've been talking about these last moments of using an anchor, now we're going to realize that I can be aware of breathing in and breathing out. I can be really attentive to all the sensations of breathing in and breathing out, but I don't have to close off the rest of the present moment experience. So the totality of the present moment is just there. Even though I might be attending to a meditation anchor in the forefront of my attention, we want to realize the whole body, the rest of physicality is right here as I'm breathing in and breathing out. And that's important because that more inclusive awareness that more inclusive awareness really helps the body heart and mind heal heal from its fragmented reactive qualities that it's you know just sort of have been habitually followed and so they're kind of entrenched in our heart to be tight basically so we want, once we break the spell, we get a little presence, a little continuity of present moment awareness, but dependent on the anchor. Then we want to start relaxing the anchor by realizing, recognizing the totality of what's being known. Even as you continue to use the anchor initially, you can just start noticing more and more objects that are being known. Maybe you could say in the periphery or in the background of the present moment, right? And then that will set in motion then the next thing. So this, you could say, would be the third step here. So the first step is break the spell by using an anchor or being bringing your attention to something neutral, but you're gonna need to rally some authentic interest. So you're really connecting with that neutral anchor and you're sustaining attention. Then broaden or allow the mind to become, the awareness to be, become more inclusive. So you're noticing what's in the background, noticing what's in the periphery, noticing more and more the totality of what's being known in the present moment. And the third thing is to start noticing a kind of healing with that more inclusive awareness. And it it often arises as a sense of embodied calm and well-being. And it's not like the sensations in our body are changing. I mean, they are changing, but like going from being a lot of pain in our body to just pleasant sensations in the body. But what it's more about is the way the mind is relating to the totality of our experience is kind. It's generous. It's not in conflict with reality. The mind that is knowing, the mind that is opening and receiving, isn't aggressive, isn't controlling, isn't being judgmental. It's being open and receptive and kind and allowing. And we feel that, the sort of felt sense of that is a kind of embodied well-being or embodied calm that we want to sense. And that's the beginning where we really see that samadhi, this stability of present moment awareness, 
this is truly good, which is really what I you know, wanted this talk to be about is, can we notice that non-distractedness, samadhi, the stability of present moment, is good, and we know that directly. So it doesn't matter what anybody else says. We know, oh yeah, distractedness is stressful. Non-distractedness is healing. It feels good. It's in the right direction. Because that's what's going to keep our mind being interested in it. If we don't truly sense its goodness, we're going to lose interest. So we have to look for its goodness. So we clarify for ourselves, samadhi or the stability of present moment awareness is good. It's healing. It's onward leading in the sense of leading onward to states that with more freedom, more spaciousness, more resilience, more clarity, more learning, deep learning that supports greater skill in life. And I'll just mention that once we have that embodied well-being, then that sets in motion a kind of lightness in the heart. You could call it a spiritual joy. And it really is arising because we have that stability of well-being, that embodied well-being, then wisdom can start to notice how much is just happening on its own, how much of the present moment is happening on its own. And it really begins to challenge the sense, you know, the world on my shoulders, I have to do everything, including my Buddhist meditation practice. And more and more we see how it's all happening on its own. And it just encourages the heart to begin to trust and relax. And the initial flavor of that is what we call joy, joyful interest or that buoyancy, lightness of heart. And it matures into a more resonant ease, contentedness, happiness of the heart. So those two flavors of joy and then ease, we really want to start to sense because that really stabilizes then the uh, present moment awareness. And then the next flavor is dispassion, where the heart is really willing to let things be. And it and manifests as letting our thoughts be our thoughts, not feeling like we have to neurotically, you know, before or against our own thoughts. No, just thoughts, just thoughts being known. And that's what actually allows the mind to become quieter, is this dispassion with the activity of body and mind. It's just stuff being known, bodily stuff, sights, sounds, sensations, mental stuff, thoughts, feelings, perceptions. It's just the activity of body and mind. And that's really what that dispassion is. It's not an indifference. The mind is, at this point, would be really intimate. So it's not distant, it's really intimate, but it has a different relationship. It's not dependent on the activity of the body or the activity of the mind. So we only just to allow it to be what it is. And then interestingly, this is what quiets the mind down. And then we really begin to learn something about the space of the present moment. Because the activity of the body and mind isn't eluding the mind, so then we're going to learn something about the nature of the knowing mind, the silent, the still, the peaceful, 
mind. And that's really where our practice goes, where samadhi goes. It really helps us learn about the nature of the mind. And the Buddha says as much, you know, the proximate cause for the deepening of insight, the deepening of understanding, is the stability of present moment awareness. And without the stability of present moment awareness, all of the learning we have in life is pretty superficial. It doesn't mean we don't learn, but it doesn't cut very deep, that learning. But when we have the stability of present moment, when we're really there, intimate, present, in a way, without expectation, so that presence, that intimacy, is really capable of seeing clearly, precisely, because it doesn't have an agenda, except to be intimate, to be present. Then the learning is really deep and impactful. It changes us, the learning. That's how we know our practice is changing or our practice is bearing fruit. We notice in our daily life that we're changed, that our practice, like how we interact, the kinds of choices we make, it's different. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.